0: In the season of Easter, I want to welcome you to worship at First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. I'm Sandra O'wine, and I serve as pastor here, and along with our staff and the entire congregation, we hope that this hour will inspire you for joyful and transformative living in the world. Now, we give thanks for the increasing availability of COVID-19 vaccinations and look forward to being able to gather for in-person worship soon. In a commitment to the safety of all of our members and the larger community, though, we continue to exercise patience, trusting that the Spirit will continue to bind us together even as we remain physically distanced from one another in worship. So in the hope, power, and promise of resurrection, let us turn our hearts to prayer, praise, and proclamation.
1: season of Easter we continue to gather in joy as we celebrate the gifts of new life and everlasting love in thanksgiving then please join me in the call to worship we are branches rooted in the vine of Christ we come because we seek to abide in Christ the branches that remain in the vine bear much fruit we come because we long to be spiritually vibrant alive Productive. If we abide in Christ, then Christ's words will abide in us. We come because we strive to be faithful disciples. We gather for worship now to the glory of the one God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. May we grow wildly as God tends us lovingly. Join me in turning our hearts toward God's presence as we share in the prayer of the day. Lord, we would grow with you. New shoots reaching out, hands stretched upward like leaves newly formed, soaking up your light and warmth. Lord, we would grow with you in sunshine and rain, in darkness and light, in cold days and summer days, from springtime to winter. Lord, we would grow with you and bring forth fruit that is pleasing to you, fed by your living water, giving sustenance to others. Yes, Lord, we would grow with you. Amen. Good morning, young
2: Christians, and happy Easter. Today is the fifth Sunday of the season of Easter. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Today, we're going to be talking about and celebrating fruit. Do you like to eat fruit? I sure do. What are some of your favorite fruits to eat? Have you ever eaten a piece of fruit straight from the branch it was growing on? Isn't that an amazing thing to do? Just earlier this week, some of our youth got to go to GrowWorks, the garden at LearningWorks to help them out with some weeding and other work in the garden. While they were there, they had an opportunity to eat some of the fresh fruit that was growing straight out of the ground. It was pretty amazing and pretty delicious last week we talked about how jesus liked to use examples from the world around him to help his disciples understand who he was and what he was all about last week we remembered and celebrated that jesus is like a good shepherd who loves and cares for all of his sheep. And this week we're looking at another part of the Gospel of John where Jesus told his disciples that he is like a vine and we, the disciples, are like the branches. He said that his disciples abide in him, live in him, just like a branch grows out from the vine and the vine gives it life. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that living in his way, listening to and living by his words would give them abundant life. And through that life giving vine, they would be able to bear fruit in the world. Now we all know that fruit is a very good thing. What kind of fruit do you think Jesus was talking about? Of course, Jesus wasn't talking about apples, oranges, or grapes. Jesus was talking about the kind of fruit we produce in our lives. What do you think Jesus had in mind? There's another passage in the Bible about the fruits of the Spirit, the good things that come out of our lives when we're following Jesus and staying connected with God. Can you think of any of the fruits of the Spirit? if you can think of any examples of those fruits in your life this week has it been a fruit bearing week for you if not that's okay another one of the things that Jesus taught his disciples is when we have branches parts of us that aren't bearing fruit that God is like a gardener who prunes our branches, takes away the parts that aren't producing fruit and helps us to be able to become the fruit-bearing branches that God would want us to be. All we have to do is keep on abiding, living in Jesus and Jesus in us. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for giving us abundant life in Jesus and helping us to bear good fruit. Help us to keep listening and growing and living in Jesus.
0: In the season of Easter, we give thanks for God's life-giving spirit that draws us up from the mire of our lives and invites us to claim new life, new hope, new love. Yet even in this season of hallelujahs, we struggle at times to accept the gifts that God gives, failing to notice the glory all around us and the power given to us. So as we prepare to feast at Christ's table that extends through time and place, Let us confess our need for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Look upon us, loving Savior. Sift our thoughts and assess our feelings. Deal firmly with those things that have inhibited our love and diverted our energies. Loving God, whatever you see as self-righteous, censure. As twisted, straighten. As heartless, soften as fruitless, prune, as infected, cleanse. Flood your relentless spirit through our whole being, sweeping away guilt and its lethargy. And by the saving grace of Christ Jesus, heal the hidden springs of our personality. Thank you, holy friend, for answering our prayers before we get around to asking them and for doing much more than we ask or think. Through your Son and our Savior, we pray. Amen. I invite you now into a time of silent prayer and of personal confession.
3: Hear these words
0: of assurance. In Christ Jesus we are a radically renewed community. Thanks be to God. Old things are done away with. All things become new. Thanks be to God. We are agents of grace and reconciliation. Thanks be to God. With every step or stumble, Christ will be with us. Thanks be to God.
4: This week we continue to listen to the first letter of John, turning today to the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 21. Listen for the word of God conveyed through this reading. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, we're so uh, grateful this morning to welcome Dr. Diana Butler-Bass back with us for week three of our ex- exploration of her book, uh, Freeing Jesus. Uh, last week, we spent time uh, sort of exploring the first couple of chapters and the image uh, and the, the reality of Jesus as friend and teacher. Uh, today, we're going to sort of turn to the, the next two chapters, which to me are sort of the more... Um, traditional sort of theological categories that we know Jesus in, right, as a savior and, and Lord. Maybe the ones most packed with baggage <laughs> uh, and, and the things that confound people that make it, make sometimes it hard for them to maybe relate to Jesus because they don't, they think that the, those titles feel so um, big uh, and, and uh, can be roadblocks to a relationship um, in some ways or, a, or certainly more um, constraining that we have sort of sense of how, what it means to be Lord or what it means to be savior. And those can be pretty, sometimes pretty limiting. Um, and maybe the, the two, the two terms that you use that I think probably are the ones that are, Jesus most needs to be freed, not from the terms, but that, that our understanding of those things need to be our understanding of those things need to be freed so that they can take on life giving meanings rather than ones that constrain us. Um, so let's look at savior first.
5: Um, Can I just say, amen. Okay.
0: I just want to say, amen. <laughs> I,
5: I want to listen to you preach that to me. <laughs> that's
0: great. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly right. When if we look at savior first, you know, you write that it's probably the most ubiquitous term, right. That Christians use to describe Jesus, particularly in sort of Western Christianity and then in our, in our own Protestantism um, and that, so often that sense of Jesus as Savior has been really focused around sin and human depravity and um, our inability to be good people that were somehow, um, you know, were marked uh, in sin. And yet the word you said is only used twice actually in the Gospels even describe Jesus. Uh, how did it become such a central doctrinal word for us? do you think um, what led that to become such a overriding image of Jesus and who he is and how he relates to us? Well, it, in the United States, I mean, and this is
5: not, this would not be true in other parts of the world. You know, if you were walking around the streets in Italy and said, somebody who is Jesus, they might say, well, you know, he's the Lord or he's the, he's King um, you know, Christ, you know, something like that. Um and in, in Canada, you probably even get different answers than just than than people coming with savior. And I really think it's tied up in American history, and it goes back into the 18th century, into what we call the First Great Awakening, when American Protestantism, and it was mostly Protestants uh, who were here in the 18th century of European descent. Uh, those those people had a big argument and it was between sort of traditional, uh, liturgical, uh, very theologically oriented Protestantism as, as a kind of a moral tradition, um, and experiential faith. And, uh, that term where that, that group that had experiential faith, uh, got known to be evangelicals. And so when I'm talking about this, I I feel really sensitive about it because this is actually when the Methodists were born as a denomination. And John Wesley uh, was clearly in the camp of experiential Protestants, and he was, in the terms of the 18th century, um, an evangelical. Now, what happened to that word and what happened to that tradition over the next you know, few generations was very interesting. And, and the, the, the first insight of the experiential Protestantism of the Great Awakening was that, that Jesus came to us not just through moral teachings and not just through our intellectual capacity to understand certain theological doctrines, but that Jesus comes to us through our hearts. And and this was, this was refreshing and revolutionary in the context, but it got all kind of caught up in a tradition that developed around it. And the tradition included things like revival meetings and the need to feel Jesus inside of you. And that, and when you felt Jesus inside of you, that was called the born again experience and, um, So so there was the the theological insight that was revolutionary, but then there were the cultural practices that developed around it. And those cultural practices of of, um, of ritualized uh, revivals, of walking down the aisles, of dramatic preachers, of getting born again, saying a sinner's prayer. All those things go back to the 18th century through the 19th century, and they become um, American popular religion, period. Uh, We're one of the few nations in the world where that form of Protestantism almost became like our national religion. And um, when people think of the word savior, that's what they think of. They think of that whole cluster of practice, And theological interpretation of of Jesus as Savior. So, boy, does it have baggage. It has 300 years worth of baggage um, in America. And it's very hard uh, to move beyond those images and because they're everywhere they're in our literature they're in our, they're in our movies they're in our popular language they're in our media you know our journalism our media they're in our churches they're in our hymns and so to bust out of that um takes a lot of work
0: yeah i think you did a really helpful um uh, piece in helping that with when you go back to the original meaning of the latin word the salvus um that that saving was about being made whole of of being healed um how might that help us reshape and and sort of come and sort of reclaim that sense of savior in a way that's life-giving um to people uh in today's world in our world here in our nation well for for me um it gets really wrapped up
5: in the idea of sin because the image we have of Jesus as savior is completely dependent in in American culture is completely dependent on the idea that we're all really terrible and that we're all sinners who need to be saved from our own sin. And we get saved from our own sin and we're going to go to heaven forever. And that's, so that's the, that's the narrative arc of, American popular Protestantism and how we think about savior is attached to this idea of sin. And it's also attached to our idea of eternal life. But the, the problem is, is that we all don't need to be saved from the same thing. And that, that is, that is the, the fallacy that's at the root of this. And, and so when we think about our own lives, you know, your problem may not be that you're just a terrible, 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 terrible person, um, you know, that you feel the weight of your own depravity, um, you know, there is no health in us, uh, that kind of of overwhelming, I, 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 I call it original sin porn, it's how we just, oh, I'm so bad, you know. And so some people, it's you're not really a sinner from your birth. You just have a sort of a a really highly developed conscience. And even little things, you know, make you feel really bad. And so some people need to be freed not from the sin itself, but just from guilt. Yeah, unnecessary guilt. Other people need to be saved from violence. You know, you grow up in a home where there's a lot of violence. You need to be rescued, man. You need to be taken out of there. Um, so, so, you know, people n- need to be saved from different stuff. And the Bible actually carries in it when it talks about salvation, um, and it talks about salvation a lot. There's there's a number of different senses of it. There's the sense of redemption. There's a sense of rescue. There's a sense of of. Exodus, freedom, liberation. Uh, there's a sense of healing as that God overcomes the wounds of your own life, which that guilt thing, an overactive conscience, that's, a, that's one of the ways we human beings get wounded, actually. And, and so, so salvation, is, we don't all s- experience sin or what we need to be rescued or s- saved from in the same way. Because there's all this stuff, and and in the book I talked about how some people are more sinned against than sinning, and yet Jesus still comes as Savior to all kinds of people. And in the New Testament, we see even just in the Gospels we see different people asking to be saved, and some of this, some of it is from like the woman at the well. Perhaps you know, um, maybe she feels really guilty about the five husbands. Um, maybe she really has sinned in some enormous way. She's clearly coming to Jesus with some level of guilt. That's, I think, one kind of story. Then there are all the stories of the people who are sick, who come to Jesus, and they're asking for salvation. They're asking for salvos to be healed. Um, There are the people who I think have kind of, you know, there are the prideful people. Peter is probably the best example of somebody who's just so full of himself. So, so Peter is the kind of the classic hubris guy, you know, I know everything and everybody, I'm going to be the leader here kind of guy. Um, he, he clearly needs to be saved. Um, so, so if you look at all of those characters in the New Testament, you see that they're, when they encounter Jesus, that Jesus does save them, but he saves them all differently. And why wouldn't that be the case now? If it was the case then, and of course that becomes the problem with contemporary american christianity is that we've created a one size fits all problem of 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 sin and that one size fits all problem of sin leads to a a single dimension savior and so in the chapter i just pow, i just blow that all up i i i'm very very concerned that uh, people don't understand the complexity of how the Bible treats sin, and there seems to be, sadly, um, a return in some Christian circles right now to ideas of sin that are what I would call deeply uh, abusive uh, to human nature, um, just during lent i was you know you're, you're on social media and a lot on twitter people come up with those little f- sort of fake seasonal names an enormous number of young clergy had names like you know there is no health in us um uh, penitent sinner uh wretched in wretched before christ you know and i'm going what the heck, you know, I'm looking at these pictures and this really attractive, you know, young person, 22, 23 years old, new, brand new clergy. And the, and the the word that they put next to their picture is wretched. No, you are not. You are beloved. Doesn't mean you're not, you're, you don't do things wrong. Doesn't mean that you're without sin but you're not wretched for God's sake you know that and 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 just because there's a lot of evil in the world it doesn't mean that we need to go back to ideas about sin and human nature that are so contrary to any kind of life-giving understanding of of, of human psychology um you know that that we wind up re-wounding the people who are coming towards us seeking salvos
0: yeah, we could we could spend a lot of time because uh, it's it's such an important uh, conversation, and I think you did a really great job of um, trying to free the term um, just by as you talked about all the different ways in which salvation manifests itself in our life, and if we can if we can free it from those very particular constraints that have been so over focused on, and as you said, you know, with the movement back to this sense of depravity, if. You know, and I get it because we see the depravity of humankind right now, right? It sort of seems really much in our face. But if we forget then that sense that, go back to, you know, God wants to be our friend. Well, why right. would we want to be our friend if we're de- so depraved? You know, no, God wants to be our friend because we're beloved of God, you know, and that is our core nature, not the depravity. And, you know, it's related to that. And then in your chapter on Lord, um that may, may need even more uh, redemption than the word Savior. Um, what would you like us to think about as we reconsider that? I mean, you, it's such a rich chapter. Um, there's so many different avenues. Uh, if I think mostly about the, the sense of the cross um, and um, what we've done to the sense of substitutionary atonement, that, that, that this Lord is the one who came to satisfy God's need for bloodletting. Yeah. Uh, what uh, how do we free jesus from that uh, and find a life-giving understanding as the lord well there's there is a
5: lot in that chapter that might be the most theological um chapter in the whole book the, and these two chapters um as people read them, I know there are a lot of people in mainline churches, and I know that you know you're in Pasadena, so you're right down the street from Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, these two chapters, from my experience, were the time when I was most closely part of the evangelical subculture in America, and so they are—they are not an attack on white evangelicalism they actually enter into the world of white evangelicalism as i experienced it in the 1970s and the 19 the early 1980s and tell a surprisingly sympathetic story one that i'm trying to clear of clutter not because i want everybody to become an evangelical who happens to be white but i was actually for myself spiritually i needed to go back to that 15-year-old girl, I need to go back to that 19-year-old college student, what have you, and forgive her for believing these things. And so often I think we get, you know, into our 40s, 50s, and 60s, and we look back at our younger life and we say, oh, how could I have ever thought that? And the truth of the matter is, is you did think it, and it was important to you at the time. So I'm trying to recover something that is Really, right now, the subject of enormous cultural criticism, and um, if and I'm trying to step past the shame of myself ever having participated in that. So, so I, so any of you people who are listening to this who went through that journey with me, this is a th- these two chapters are really important, and they not only say something about me, they not only say something about Jesus, but they say something really significant Amer- about American culture. And that's the place where I want to kind of leave you with the, the Lord chapter. So while there's a ton of theology in that chapter, don't be scared. Um, <laughs> it, it, it essentially presents a, a fight that was going on in my own soul that was part of the larger evangelical subculture of, the, of this time, right around 1980, of two different visions of Jesus Jesus as Lord. And one vision is found on the streets um, of Santa Barbara in a street ministry to the poor that um, I was part of when I was a college student at Westmont. Um, Another sort of aspect of that same vision of Jesus uh, was found Uh, doing mission work in Mexico and the sort of the fascination that myself and my friends had with Latin American liberation theology at the time and how we, we hung on every word of Oscar Romero and cried when he was assassinated. And um, I still remember when the, the Marinal sisters were, uh, were shot, you know, and, and martyred. Um, And so, so that was actually an idea of Jesus Lordship that, Jesus was the kin of all and that Jesus came into the world to overturn hierarchical notions of Lord and instead dwelt with uh, the poor, the hungry, the naked, the prisoners and set all of those people free into a life of Genuine blessing. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who suffer all kinds of rev- reviles for my or who are reviled for my sake. And so, so that's the kind of Lord Jesus is, and it flies in the face of all the kinds of lordship that we find later in history. And so, so that is what I was experiencing as a college student, and I write about that, and I and um, I loved writing about that. I loved sharing those memories. You know, that was the evangelicalism that I knew then, and it was it was glorious. It was amazing, and it was so powerful that it swept a very idealistic nineteen year old like me off my theological feet. And um, then came this other idea, and the other idea started coming into our consciousness with. Um, 1979, when the moral majority was born. and what that began to look like from the perspective of what I called the, the the golden glow of California evangelicalism. These two things then set themselves up for a war uh, within evangelicalism, is Jesus, the kin of all in a kingdom of the unexpected, where we all sit around the same table where all are set free or is Jesus the king overall in a hierarchical structure that evangelicals want to be at the top. One of the interviews that I did was with Jim Wallace and uh, that podcast will be out by the time this, uh, this um, we're we're talking here. And Jim said, as we talked about this, he said, yeah, and we know which one won. And when he, when he said that, it almost ripped my heart out because Jim was one of the people that I read when I was a student at Westmont. And so looked up to as a teacher of that alternate kin, kingdom of, of Jesus. And just his sense of, you know, he's, he's uh, 11 years older than I am. And, and to talk with him and just hear that sense of resignation in his voice. Yeah. And we know which one won. Heartbreaking. And that's part of the story we've all been through, whether you ever were an evangelical or you just sat on the sidelines of it and watched in horror as it developed. But for the people who were inside of it, boy, it was it was the spiritual story of a lifetime. And uh, I try to tell that story. And, and I, I think I, I think I do um, tell it from a very unexpected perspective. So that's the, that's about lordship. And, and even if you're never an evangelical, you can still translate that tension to all forms of Protestantism because there are mainliners who really get the kinship thing, uh, who understand that Jesus, who is the the lord of the streets, as it were. Um, But then there are plenty of mainliners, and believe me, as an Episcopalian, I know plenty of them, who want to have a hierarchy of authority and power and want the people on top still be in charge. Sometimes they'll change the people at the top so that the pyramid looks a little less um, mean um, or destructive. Um, you know, oh, let's make women bishops. It'll all be better then. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, is this the idea of the hierarchy, it's the idea of the kingship, the lordship uh, in particular, that's the problem. So you get mainliners who are like that, um, and you certainly get the same tension in Catholicism.
0: Diane, this is going to be a rich um, session for us to sort of uh, continue to unpack. And, And as you said, I think both of these chapters um, are just so rich that it, you've provided us a lot of uh, food for uh, uh, for feasting on and, and reflecting on as we go forward. So thank you for, uh, for week three and I look forward to our concluding week uh, next week. So thank you so much.
6: Let us pray. God of love, we pray to you this morning. Encouraged by your promise of resurrection and healing, hear us now as we lift before you then the needs of this congregation and of the whole world. Make us humble as inhabitants of your creation so that we will seek ways of living that are sustainable and just. Make us compassionate as we hear the cries of distant people who suffer under political oppression or natural disasters activate us to use our influence in ways that will transform systems and hearts so that your law of love may prevail in every place. We pray for your holy church around the world that its witness and work may cast out fear and suspicion. Honor the service of all its people and guide the work of its leaders, especially our Bishop Grant and our Superintendent Jim. Perfect us in love as we seek to follow the one whose very name is love. Healing God, we continue to pray for all whose lives are affected by the pandemic, the sick and the dying, those who mourn, and the tireless caregivers. We are especially mindful of the suffering of the people of India as they cope with the coronavirus. Help all whose hearts are weighed down by any kind of trouble. We pray for those among this community who are facing health challenges, especially Nancy L. Rod and Trigva Ganez, the former husband of Judy Townsend. Comfort all who mourn, especially the family of Eric Werner's friend Robert and the family of Tom Wilkerson. May your perpetual light shine on these loved ones who now have entered your nearer presence. And let your bright hope warm those that they leave behind. Along with all of these things, we place into your loving arms the many concerns and situations that are found in today's prayer list, acknowledging the many needs and hurts that are known only to you. And now as we come to the table of grace, feed your people and send us out to show your love to the world until all are blessed and can a blessing be restored in Christ to true humanity. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining in this time of online worship from First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. Please remember that this service and all of our past services are available for you to return to anytime at the Church's YouTube page. Maybe you know somebody who would be interested in knowing more about Diana's book. Send them a link. When you like and subscribe, you help others to find our channel. As always, please download this week's bulletin for up-to-date information about what is happening at the church, as well as a guide to the service of worship and our weekly prayer list. A link to the bulletin can be found in today's video description. An online survey was sent to the church's email list on Thursday asking for input about resuming in-person worship in the sanctuary. Today is the deadline for you to respond. If you you have lost that email but still want to weigh in, the link to the survey can be found in the announcement section of today's bulletin. The church's campground, Camp Sky Meadows, will be open this summer, and so you are invited to help get the facility ready to receive visitors. Three work camp weekends are being organized in the month of May. Camp manager Jeff Potter is also looking for seasonal staff. All the details about both of these things can be found in today's bulletin. Thank you for your continued faithfulness as you make use of the church's online giving website. You can find a link to it in the video description today, or simply link, simply click on the donate button anytime at the church's website. Be well, get vaccinated, stay current on the public health advisories, and remember, to wear your mask.
0: Lift up your heads. We lift them up to God. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Lift up your hands. We dedicate our heads, our hearts, and our hands to the worship of God. We offer our entire being to the God of creation who made the sun and the moon to govern by day and by night and hung the stars in the sky. We offer our entire being to the great God who hollowed out the valleys and bulged up the mountains, who spat out the seven seas and populated the world with glorious creatures. Blessed be the name of the Lord, who created us and fashioned us from the dust and breathed into us the breath of life. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to us in spite of our destructive ways. He healed the sick, raised the dead, and cast out demons. In the brief time that he was with us, Jesus sided with the oppressed, had compassion for those who suffered, and gave dignity to women and children. He taught us in word and deed about a God we had been unable to understand. In spite of his glory revealing presence among us, we turned him into a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus was persecuted by certain religious leaders and betrayed by one of his own. He was lied about, tortured, and hung on a cross to die. Yet even on the day of his crucifixion, Jesus continued to teach those who would listen. When people came with his betrayer, Jesus did not respond with violence choosing instead to remind us that those who live by the sword will die by the sword when he was falsely accused and condemned to death jesus refused to do harm and while hanging on the cross he prayed father forgive them for they know not what they do and so we give you thanks that nothing ever was or ever will be able to separate us from the love that you have for us in christ jesus our lord for early on the morning of the third day jesus laughed at death shed his grave clothes and walked among us alive 40 days later he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the god of our ancestors and the creator of all that is we long for the day when jesus shall return to a kingdom without end where the lion will lie down peaceably with the lamb where sickness and disease are not known where the wicked will cease from troubling and we will study war no more. On the night that Jesus betrayed, he shared a meal with with his disciples. He took bread from the table. He gave thanks to you for it. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you, given for you that you might have new life. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the meal was over, he took a cup and he gave thanks to you for it. And then he gave it to his disciples. He said to them, drink from this, all of you, for this is the sign of the new covenant that is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins and for the promise of new life. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Oh, today, Jesus, we remember. We remember the bread and the cup. Today we remember your life and your death and your resurrection. We remember eternal life to which you invite us to live now. So as we receive these gifts in praise and thanksgiving, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Holy God, pour out your Holy Spirit on the gifts of bread and wine that we have gathered in our different places. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. Wonder working God, pour out your spirit upon us as we offer ourselves to be your presence in the world until Jesus returns in glory. Amen. Almighty God, we your people cry out to you on behalf of our community. Have mercy upon all who suffer from the evils of poverty. Have mercy upon all who have lost their way. Have mercy upon all who have been offended by the church. Have mercy upon all who feel forgotten and neglected. Have mercy upon us, triune God, and make us worthy to be called your people who pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Even though we continue to partake of many loaves, Christ, through the Spirit, makes us one in fellowship and service to all the world. So when we break our bread, it is a sharing in the body of Christ. And even as we drink from many different types of cups, God's love pours out on all of us so that we might be the life of Christ lived in the world. I invite you then to take the bread and to put it into the cup and to feast on Christ in faith. Receive the benediction. Embrace the prismatic nature of Jesus. Renew your hope in the Jesus you have known. Renew your hope in the Jesus you know now. Renew your hope in the Jesus who will meet you ahead on the road. Amen.